The following episode is dedicated to the family and the loving memory of Scott Perry. Man, I wish I would have had this for B-roll. You pissed yourself inside. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I peed in my sink. <laughs> <laughs> I just cleaned the toilet so I didn't want to get it dirty. You cleaned the toilet so you peed in the sink. So I was going to pee in the sink. I, I like to feel of it kind of like the urinal. It's fucking tremendous. Uh, <laughs> but I wasn't like paying attention and I like peed on my jeans. Oh. Uh, I, yeah, I guess here, where I'm at now, it's 36 degrees. It's the high today. And then where yeah. I'm going, will be 46. What the fuck are you going to Florida for? Uh, my cousin's at it. Yes, it's true. Nobody fucks uncles quite like you. Shut your fucking face, Uncle Fucker. You're the one that fucked your uncle, Uncle Fucker. You don't eat or sleep or mow the lawn. You just fuck your uncle all day long. It is Friday, February 16th, 2018, and you are listening to Season 2, Episode 7 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by TheGorillaPosition.com, and of course, presented by Tommy Media. On today's show, we're breaking down all the pro wrestling from around the universe, but before we dive in, it's my obligation to tell you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter at HGMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks. Shoot us an email at HittingTheMarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo in the 805. They call me Sticky. I'll be your host for the day. I'm joined, as always, alongside my tag team partner, the Terrence to my fill-up, RBV, Rick. Welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me, said R to the B to the V. And I have feeling great. We've got, you said, you know, it, it's a Friday, and that is rare for us. You know, unless we're outside of like an NXT special, we're trying something new. I, I am pumped for it. Man, I was up bright and early. I think I got up about, you know, about 5.30 Eastern time. And, and now as we're sitting here recording, it's 10 o'clock my time. Man, I, I feel like I've gotten more done in this, these couple hours. Just so excited for, for this morning's show than I have all week. Uh, but I did want to say that I, I've been online. You know, anyone out there that, that knows me, you know, I'm in, involved in marketing and promotion. So I was getting some social media stuff out there from my clients. The sex bots have been loving me this morning. I have probably gotten like 17 friend requests from the, those obvious, you know, they, they got the tits hanging out. They only got like the one picture. Uh, and then they send you the message like, hey, how you doing? Man, I, I've been moving this morning. Rick's Rick's over with the chat bots, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so yes. yes, we are we are recording on a Friday morning. Typically, as you know, our episodes come out at 4:20 a.m. Thursdays. But unfortunately, Mother Nature said, "Oh no, no, not this week." As we were in the middle of recording the episode, Rick's internet decided to take a crap. 
Um, I have had some personal issues that I need to deal with this weekend. So this will be the only show that you get from us this week. There will not be a, a 0.5. We will be back in your ear holes Monday in the locker room. Hopefully everything will be back to some kind of a regular schedule, except for the fact that Rick may or may not be in Florida. We're not entirely sure. I hate him for that, which is why I have dubbed him my Philip because he is obviously full of shit and uh, pissing all over himself on this Friday morning. So speaking of pissing all over yourself, as Rick did to his jeans earlier today while he was peeing in the sink. Yes, this is a true story. Uh, let's talk about the road to the elimination chamber. We're not officially on the road to WrestleMania yet. We are on the road to the elimination chamber. So since you've heard so many review shows all week, what we're going to do is we're going to break down the, what went on on raw for the men's chamber. Then we're going to break down what went on for the women's chamber. Then we're going to jump over to SmackDown and we're going to call this episode good. We just wanted to get our thoughts out there so all of you can digest it before Rick hits the road off to Cincinnati and then to Florida, and I take my happy ass to bed. Sound good, Rick? Hey, man, you know what? Thanks for stooging off me, uh, taking a whiz in the sink. I, I just hope that anyone that also shares that sink here at the office does not actually listen to this episode. Thank God that we record remotely. Thank God we record remotely. See, now I'm worried about you coming over to my house for mania. I'm worried about this now. I mean, I might even have to clean like both litter boxes. So Oswald has one and Rick has one. Uh, so let's talk about uh, the ongoings of the men's elimination chamber. I, uh, we're not even going to run through this thing in order. Let's start off with by far the talking point of the week right now. Finn Balor, Seth Rollins. We're going to have a seven man chamber. Rick, what do you make of this entire mess? Is this just something for Seth to do since Jordan's hurt? Is that what's going on? You know, uh, going into this thing, you know, they're coming at this from a few different angles, what really perturbs me here. Uh, first of all, the chamber, the men's chamber match itself, they're giving away too much of, of the elements that make it so make it special. You know, that, that element of surprise. They've already told us who's going to be one of the first two in to enter the chamber. They, we already know who's going to be the last one out of the pod. So I think that this was a way that they were trying to put a, They've already they realize they've exposed so much of what makes the match special that they're trying to add a, a different element in there. I don't know if I'm necessarily a fan of it. We don't know how it's going to work. Are we going to start with a triple threat? Are these two actually going to be jammed in a, in a single pod together? I mean, that's still to be determined. I think what we should do is we should add one more person to the match. And then we can go and borrow the old Impact Wrestling six-sided ring put up two more pods and we'll just have the special ring with six pods and have everybody just go balls out hairy ass. Oh, there, there we go, man. But you know, again, uh, throw a little kink in your plans. You're going to have to use the same chamber and the same ring. And we don't have enough women to fill two more pods. Oh crap. <laughs> but, but going back here to, to Baylor and Rollins, what really gets me is, you know, last week, I think we would both agree over the last couple weeks, you know, Raw, for just from an entertainment aspect, has probably been on an upswing. You know, they're, they're starting to get some things right. It, it's not kind of that just mellow Kali pace that we've been accustomed to over the last couple of months. And what they at, at the end of this week's show, they have a, a great finish. You know, there's a cliffhanger. What's going on here? They leave that teaser. 
And you're thinking immediately like, oh, we've got something. We've got a reason to tune in next week to see where this is going. And then within an hour, you're the one that, that turned me on to this. Within an hour, they stooge off the, through their .com and social media that they're both going to enter the match. If you're listening for the first time, I'll spoil it for everybody. I do not watch Raw live, mostly because I work third shift and I'm asleep during that time. So I get to work at 11 o'clock. Raw goes off the air at 10 o'clock my time. And, of course, the first thing I do is hit WWE.com. And their headline story is both Finn Balor and Seth Rollins going into the Elimination Chamber seven-man match. Took them all of an hour to have this thing stooged off. That that's what we were doing. Everybody else is talking about, is it going to be, you know, Balor and Rollins one-on-one next week? Is this going to be the WrestleMania match? Is this going to be the program going forward? But no, we're just going to throw them both in the chamber because, you know, we got to throw as many people into a match as we possibly can because that's the only way it's interesting anymore. It just just a major letdown. You know, even if this was going to be the end result that they both get entered into the match, why, why not make it, you know, drag it out here? You know, set it up through your social media all week that, that Kurt Angle, he's been having private meetings with Stephanie McMahon. They are trying to figure out what, how exactly to, to handle this situation that you've got the double pin there. Both men deserve to be heading in. You could have you could have had Balor playing it on, on social media that Rollins shouldn't even been in the match. You know, he was he originally wasn't in the plans for the Elimination Chamber. And then you counter that, you know, where Rollins was saying, hey, well, I didn't even have a first chance. And you're, and you're supposed to get a second chance? I mean, you could have had some heat building all week here, some intrigue, give a reason for fans to invest, but no, they just immediately crap all over that by giving this away. At least the Rollins side of the promo of him talking Kurt into letting him into the what would become Fatal Five-Way, I very much enjoyed. It kind of seemed like dirty slimeball Seth Rollins again, but, you know, he's dirty slimeball Seth Rollins. I mean, at this point, I think we're all just kind of waiting for Rollins to turn. It kind of seems like they're dropping hints here and there. I think it's way too soon. So, Balor-Rollins, does that change the dynamic of the chamber whatsoever? I mean, this is still Roman Reigns comes out of this thing, right? Yeah, and it, maybe maybe with all these other moves, with, you know, who, with The Miz being the first entrant and... Elias being the sixth entrant, and now we we've added another uh, another competitor to the match that we haven't seen in you know the history of the chamber. Now we're up to seven. Maybe they're doing all this, and even on this show here, you know, they really pushed Roman kind of off to the side. He wasn't really involved in anything related to the chamber. So maybe they're maybe they're they're intentionally doing this with all this other hype to try to take some of the attention and focus away from the end game, which is the Roman agenda. Well, we have heard speculation that the program for WrestleMania is going to be Braun Strowman and Miz. You and I have speculated that you're going to have Balor and Rollins. There has been talk of Cena and Elias. Who's the odd man out? Oh, the guy that wins it, Roman Reigns. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily the programs that we're going to get going forward, but that has been rumored card. You could kind of draw your own speculations there. Well, and, and I think, too, they are protecting themselves. And I think maybe that they, are, they do not know for certain 
if Taker is ready or if they really want to, you know, really keep that protected. I know we're going to get to Cena here just briefly, you know, but he did kind of hint at it, but he does have that beef there with Elias. But now, you know, we're getting a little bit of build between, you know, a potential a Braun and Elias program. Well, let's talk about Cena first. And in talking about Cena, let's throw it over to my favorite segment that we do on this show. We like to call it Undertaker Watch 34. So I guess the obvious question here, Rick, is, was it too blatant? I mean, last year, we hear John Cena say, if I had it my way, I'd be fighting The Undertaker, when he ended up fighting The Miz and Maurice with Nikki Bella. Now, this year, what was that, six months ago when he was fighting with Roman Reigns, he makes the comment, you know, I'm not an old guy with a bad hip. Now he's throwing around the term dead man. Is this just... A little too blatant. Is Cena trolling us, basically? I, I think it's maybe it goes along. May, I think it's a little column A, a little column B. I was going to say a workshop, but it's probably a little column A, you know, a little column B. He knows it's out there. He probably wants it. it it's being talked about. It, maybe it's not set in stone yet, but yeah, he kind of likes to, he's ribbing a little bit there in case they go in another direction. I wouldn't put so much into it. I don't. I think it was just something that it's Cena. It's just in his personality, something that he's going to drop. I'm going to throw this out here because I think it's kind of a hot take. If you don't get John Cena versus Undertaker this year, what is there for Cena to even do? I mean, if I'm John Cena and Vince comes to me and says, we want you to work with Elias in the third match on Mania, I'm just going to look at Vince and be like, no, nah, that's all right. I'm good. I mean, it's kind of the Jericho thing. Jericho said, no, I'm not coming back for this mania because I know who I'd be fighting. I know where it's at on the card and it's not worth my time. Is Cena kind of at that point now too, unless it's Undertaker? No, I don't think we would get that, that actual answer from Cena. I think he would be glad to go work with anyone that they had asked him to at this stage. But he'd have to be in, you know, thinking in the back of his mind, like, wow, is this really worth this anymore? And it's not... And it's and it's not anything, you know, against Cena. He's just elevated himself to a level where a match with him, even if there are no, you know, serious stakes at hand, it's bigger than what we're seeing with the rest of the car. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like Cena's been putting people over left and right for about a year and a half now. And if I'm John Cena, I'm better than the opening match of SummerSlam against Baron Fucking Corbin. Give me something worth my time, or I'm just gonna go off and do my thing. Well, I know you know a reason. You know, there is speculation they might go in other directions with him. You know, there was all the talk that it was going to be Samoa Joe. That still doesn't have that big WrestleMania feel, Timmy. I'm sorry. No, but I could see Cena doing it because of the history between him and Joe. Like that's a personal thing for Cena. Whereas somebody like Elias, I get it. I get it there, but Elias comes out of nowhere. I, that's why I really think that from from the get-go, the plan, and it needs to remain that way, and hopefully he's able to go, is Undertaker. He needs to have that big match right here. At this point, I feel like the WWE almost needs Undertaker to have that big match here. 
More information as it becomes available on Undertaker Watch 34. So we have the Cena and we have the Miz, arch nemeses for many a year now, as Miz so politely pointed out, he outsmarted John Cena at WrestleMania. And Miz proposes the idea of the Miz versus Brock Lesnar. Now, being an old school Misfit, which I know you are because you're from Ohio and you love everything from Ohio. How did this sit with you? Hey, I thought it, I thought it was gold. You know, I thought Cena came out, cut a great promo. It was one of those you're really getting into. And then it's only topped by the Miz when he makes his entrance. I thought Miz took this to another level. I loved how – I just – I don't think it was just a shot at John Cena. I think it was a shot at every challenger that has stepped up to face Brock Lesnar. Because what we've seen you know, from the likes of, of Roman Reigns, of Braun Strowman, of Samoa Joe, John Cena, you name it, they've pretty much all tried to match him you know, strength with strength or with – or in the case of an AJ Styles with agility and ability, they've tried to take it straight to Brock inside the ring through a, a real competition. The Miz comes out and says, you know what? You're all idiots. That ain't my game. I'm going to outsmart him. I'm going to use everything at my disposal. I will go to, I won't stop it at any lengths to make sure that I can take out the beast. I thought it was great the way he presented it. It very much, it, for those who don't know, my entire right arm is covered in a giant Batman tattoo. I'm a huge Batman mark. And it very much felt like Batman and the Joker conversating back and forth to me. Miz playing the part of the Joker here, saying, you know, I will do things that you will not do. But you and I, we're really not all that different. We just have different techniques. And for anybody who has seen The Dark Knight Returns, the animated movie or the original comics, there's a point where Batman retires and the Joker, he just goes to the old folks home because he doesn't have anybody left to play with. You have to have one in order to have the other. And I feel like Miz, once again, pulls out the very best of John Cena. I thought John Cena had a very motivated promo. I thought it was one of the better Cena matches that we've seen recently. And a large part of that, once again, goes to The Miz. If you need to have a good match with somebody, just put them in the ring with The Miz. The Miz will make them look like a million bucks. Because that's what the freaking Miz does. He's like the new Jericho. So let's talk a little bit about Kurt Angle and... The mess that's going on with Kurt Angle here, as we're, we're hearing now that Kurt Angle is one of the B possibilities if The Rock can't be Rousey's partner. Do you have any desire to see Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey versus Hunter and Stephanie at this point? We know we, this, this actually came up in the Hameen, Hameen Media discussion group over on Facebook yesterday, where we were actually, there was a number of us, you know, discussing the possibilities for for Kurt Angle at, at WrestleMania. And one of the questions that I threw out there, WWE is to this point has done so much to damage Kurt Angle's return to the company that I wonder, is there any match out there 
that involves Kurt Angle that really, you know, drums up a, a great deal of interest amongst fans. No, I think they blew it. And I said it at the time when he joined the shield to take on new day. That was the moment that was the moment you get one return. That's it. That was the moment. And he didn't look great in that match. He didn't look great in the survivor series match afterwards, the four on four. I just don't think that there's a big clamoring to see Kurt angle back in the ring at this point, because we all kind of view him as broken down Kurt. And I think part of that is he's playing the Mick Foley character still. And Foley was so broken down. Kurt's standing there all slouched, bent at the knees. Oh, poor woe is me, Kurt. I mean, I, I feel like Kurt Angle needs completely rebuilt here. And I'm not sure that it's worth reinvesting in a rebuild at this point. Well, I, you know, you pretty much, I mean, you nailed it right there. They didn't give us a new character and they didn't, you know, reintroduce the Kurt Angle that everyone loved. They simply just said, okay, we still have this general manager role. We still are going to write it a certain way. We're just going to change it in a name. You know, it's exactly how they had treated, had treated fully. You know, they send him out there. They overscript him. Everything is kind of built around to make him foolish, you know, especially early on in the run where, you know, a lot of times he was a side gag. Yeah. The, I mean, this is not the Kurt Angle that we fell in love with 15 years ago. Well, and now every time he tries to step up, you know, it's either Stephanie or the talent. You know, they're just talking down to him. Yep. Put him there right back no, in his place. There is no respect for his authority in a position of general manager. Yep. Uh, then you get, then you get into the matches. Like you said, you know, that they gave, you have that one chance to reintroduce yourself, to make that comeback in the WWE universe. They already gave that away. They gave it away with, with little to no fanfare. I mean, it was like a two day announcement, correct? That's when everyone got sick. Yep. So there was no build there. He comes out in a six man. He did okay. He hit his spots. Obviously, you know, it was a it was a good spot because they could protect and hide some things. You know, he he was blown up pretty early in the match. But then we get the same thing in at Survivor Series where you have the 10 man, the traditional Survivor Series match. You can still protect him there, but you can still see, you know, he, where he lost a little bit of that step there. So now we're supposed to buy in the potential that in a mixed tag match where him and Hunter are going to have to carry this thing, right? that he's going to be a, a viable option. And then the other thing that we've seen out there that people were kind of clamoring for was that, that Seth Rollins might be a potential opponent for him at WrestleMania. And to me, I, that absolutely does nothing for me. Good luck whatsoever. with a buckle bomb there, Kurt. You know? You know, on both sides, I don't know. I don't know why Rollins keeps good. gets keep putting into these spots with, I, I guess the, the flavors of the event. He's in the CM Punk role. Whoever the big part timer is coming back for WrestleMania. That's who Seth Rollins is going to get thrown into a match with. It's the CM Punk role. And that's why Punk walked away because Punk's putting over all this talent. He's putting over Undertaker. He's putting over Batista. He's putting over Triple H. And Punk has to come back to work on Monday. We don't see these fucking guys again for a year. And it just ends up hurting Punk stock. And I feel like that's kind of the role that Seth Rollins has fell into now. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about that Jason Jordan promo. Jason Jordan, there you go. There's the other choice for the, uh, what would that be? Uh, Eight-man elimination chamber? Just throw him in there, too. Why the fuck not? Was he going to come down in his neck brace? Yeah, why not? He'll just sit in the pod for the whole match. Then we can have, like, Braun, like, tear the whole pod out and throw it out of the ring or something. Be a great spot. So, Kurt Angle delivers the news that Jason Jordan is going to miss WrestleMania. Um, I And also the Rousey news, but we'll get to her here in a minute. But the way the crowd responded to this Jason Jordan news, there, there seems to be some speculation as to did WWE expect that and was Kurt scripted to handle that the way he did or was he kind of shooting off the cuff? I think it was absolutely expected. It's not like people are booing Jason Jordan, the human being here. They're booing the character that nobody can stand that's been an absolute suck up and a pain in everybody's ass for the last six months. Of course they're going to cheer that he's not going to be there. I, I kind of got the feeling. I am with you. I think they, they had an idea this was coming. So they had prepared him for if you get this reaction or an overwhelming reaction, positive reaction from the audience about about Jordan missing it, your son missing his road to WrestleMania, then throw this in. Spin it this way. Because you could tell that 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 point in the promo is where he really got off the tracks. Yeah. And it was really hard for him to get back to where he was actually going. So you you think this was more a matter of Okay, go to plan B, go to plan B. Shit, what's the lines for plan B? What's the lines for plan B? And that's yeah, th- what what was going on in Kurt's mind. It wasn't just improv. I think this, hey, get up to the line. You know, read the defense. And if the secondary showing you this, call then call a check down audible. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and Kurt is not the uh, individual that you want in the ring. When that possibility comes up, you want somebody like Cena out there handling that. Right. You want like a Cena or the Miz, you know, just look at the promo they gave us. From before. Yeah. Somebody who's, who's quick on their feet improv by, by all accounts. Kurt likes his stuff incredibly well scripted. Well, I, I don't think that he likes it that way. I don't think any of them do, but they're not going to give him the trust. They, they don't give him. I think he would have been, he's going to be better in any situation with bullet points and just give him the general idea. You can tell when he really struggles is when he's trying to remember that line for line sort of script that they're giving him. Yep. I, I, I just think that's one of those things that Kurt never really developed. I've heard that about Kurt for years, that he likes his stuff scripted, like down to the word. The problem is Kurt's not the kind of guy that can memorize 20 minutes worth of dialogue. I mean, when, when Kurt says scripted, it, he means a 90 second promo. Not a twenty-minute monologue, right? You, you really think back to you know the, his glory days. Anything in the ring, it was short and sweet. And then when you then some of the great comedy skits that he had, it was all produced. They were, they were all produced backstage, you know, where they could do the multiple takes and cuts and and make sure that everything was just right. Yep, I, I actually watched uh, Kurt Angle versus Shinsuke Nakamura from 2008 for the IWGP Championship this morning. Talk about a dream match. Holy shit. I would love to see that Kurt Angle again, and I just don't think I ever will. Um, so we have The Miz entering at number one. We now have Elias, I assume, entering at number seven in the chamber. So let's talk about see, Elias and Braun. 
I think they're going to go with the triple, the three way to open triple threat. Open. I, I think you're right. I think that's probably the smartest way to do it too. I would go Miz, Balor and Rollins. One, two, three. Boom. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this Elias and Braun segment, uh, because it is about the most polarizing segment that you're going to get amongst wrestling fans. Some people absolutely loved it. Some people absolutely hated it. Some people like me are a little bit of both. I absolutely love the segment, but I don't think it was good business long term. I mean, I was absolutely entertained watching the damn thing, but looking at it long term in the macro, I don't think this was smart business for Braun. Well, you know, when it comes to Braun, I understand where they're going here. And and it, it really does seem that, you know, it's complete, you know, fans are on completely opposite ends of the spectrum here. You know, you have some people that are really, really into this. You have some people that, that can't stand how, how they're handling Braun right now. And I think in those that are kind of frustrated with Braun, I don't think it has so much to do with what we saw on this episode, but everything is a complete package outside of the monster character. I mean, uh, I, let's just think about this for a second, okay? So we have Braun pulling down the scaffolding staging, right? We have Braun tipping over a semi. We have Braun in an elf costume. We have Braun tag teaming, trying to put on Alexa Bliss's shirts. Now we have Braun with a giant upright base. That's the last six weeks of Braun Strowman. I mean, we're not talking about the last six years of Braun Strowman. We're talking about the last six weeks. This is big show territory. I, I wouldn't go that I wouldn't go that far right now. Now I think that they do need to, you know, to tread very carefully that they don't enter completely into big show territory. But I understand where they're coming with Braun. You know, we do know we know him through his social media. We know him through some other projects. He does t- he does have some character to him, and sometimes that's one of the things that we gripe about is that these guys are they're so cookie cutter and so manufactured that we don't really get to know the individual. Well, in this case, they're trying to give us a little bit of the individual. He is a big monstrous guy, but he likes to have fun. He likes to joke. And we've seen that from other stars. You know, Austin was an ass kicker, but he'd go, he'd go out there and, and you know, give rib on somebody. But uh, The Rock was classic for that thing. You know, he was a serious top contender all the time, but he was always about jokes. It, what is a little different, though, with those guys is, though, that we never saw that complete dominant monster force that we see some, from Ron. And I think that's a lot of fans are unfamiliar with that. I mean, when I think of Undertaker, I don't remember a whole lot of comedy spots. I remember some spots like the where to Stephanie that have become comedic in hindsight, looking back on them, but they weren't intended as comedic at the time. Well, and then, you know, as I sat there and I kind of compare them, you know, it's a little bit, I think maybe what they're trying to go for is an Austin type sort of deal. But with that, though, and as, as I was thinking about that comparison, I also thought back to something in Austin's career that didn't actually involve him, but how serious he actually took his character and he knew where to draw certain lines. He was at one point scheduled to begin working a program with Mark Merrow. They needed something. And this is before Austin got into the, the championship picture. This is when he was making his, his move up the card. And they needed something to help jumpstart 
Mark Camaro. They, they just couldn't find a way with him. So they said, you know what? Maybe we put him with Austin here for a little bit, give him a rub. We, we can get him going in the right direction. Well, Dan Mark Marrow, he went out on television and allowed Sable to body slam him. Yep. The next week, Austin calls up and says, hey, uh, and I think I think Marrow was maybe involved in a meeting or whatever. I don't know the exacts of the story. But something along the lines of Marrow's like, well, me and you were going forward. He said, uh, no, brother, we're not doing business anymore. You, you killed yourself when you let your wife body slam you on television. And he was right. I mean, when you really look at Marvelous Mark Marrow's career, from that moment on, that dude was dead in the water without that, any question. At that point there, you lose all your credibility. Yep, so Sable you, was more over than Marvelous Mark. I mean, it was almost like the Alexa Bliss and Blake and Murphy kind of thing. There was a lot of other things that went in there that they, Vince was in love with Johnny B. Bad. He wanted Johnny B. Bad. He was the first uh, WWF guaranteed contract at the time. They, they thought they were getting Johnny B. Bad. Problem was, WCW owned Johnny B. Bad, and they got Mark Merrow. Yep. That was a huge problem. But, you know, him him exposing his business like that, which could be seen similar to, to Braun going out there doing the elf skit, or his involvement here, his over-involvement with the Mixed Match Challenge. Not necessarily that he's, that he's involved with that there, but how he's portraying himself there. That's when you start dangerously getting close to the Big Show zone. Yeah, and it's nothing against Big Show. I love Big Show. But, you know, Big Show, if he would have been presented as a legitimate monster for his entire career, would have had a very, very different career. Uh, so let's talk about the women's elimination chamber, which brings us to the Jersey Mike segment presented by Kleenex. Introducing new softer Kleenex tissues. Now in prettier packages. Sometimes a little change can make a big difference. Kleenex. Softer. Prettier. This is going to be a jam-packed Jersey Mike segment, man. This had to be Jersey Mike's favorite episode of Monday Night Raw in history. We had like five women's segments on this show. But in doing five women's segments, I did notice there was no 205 Live on this show. Did you take note of that as you were watching it? Uh, you know what? Actually, during the show, I, I did not notice it. It was you that brought it to my attention. And afterwards, I found that very interesting. Last week, it comes out that Hunter's taken over 205 Live. And this week, there's no 205 Live on Raw. Hmm. Well, and I know you kind of threw out there, do you think this was a Vince move? But then I, I think we both kind of agreed this is probably more of a Hunter move. You know, I think, and it, I think it's the best call for for the two hundred five live brand right now. Get it as far away you can from Raw. One, one, Hunter's got quite a task ahead of him rebuilding that entire thing from the ground up. Yep, absolutely. Uh, two there with its involvement with Raw, they usually just run them out there in a clusterfuck of a match. It's doing them absolutely no favors. And aside from when they had. Spudrick on there. I guess that's, that's what we've dubbed, dubbed him, yep, correct? Spudrick, that's his new name. Uh, aside from when they had him out there on commentary, putting over his show, I wouldn't trust those other commentators to do me any favors. You know, trying to to pitch why people should should retune in and give and, you know those that maybe 
have turned their back on the brand should give them a second chance. Right now, you know, you, you bring everything back home, get your house in order, and then worry about, you know, getting back out there for the public. I, I can go one step further. I get the hell away from SmackDown as well. Those audiences just don't buy into it. They do not care. Drop the live part. Get that thing down in full sale where you're going to have an audience that's going to appreciate you, that's going to that's going to bring some life to it for you, and then go from there. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about 205 Live after we uh, hit on SmackDown here as well. Uh, for now, let's talk about the Women's Elimination Chamber. Uh, we, this show had so much to talk about. Um, number one, there was the Mickey and Alexa Bliss backstage interview where all of your dreams came true. Mickey finally called Alexa on her bullshit. Well, you know, I want to go back just for a moment. You mentioned all of these women's segments on this show. What would you say we had four or five of them? Yeah, there's like five if you count vignettes and stuff. Okay. Last week, four or five. Yep. We are getting a lot more attention on this women's division for the red brand, especially, you know, ever since what WrestleMania or not WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, when the, uh, Rousey made her, uh, her debut. Now we've got all the rumor and speculation where this thing is going. I think this is, this is by design that they're giving women all this time because they, and this is all part of how it's their smoke and mirrors continued here. With the women's evolution, they want you to think it is so grand and so important, and they are they are advancing women equality. But this is just this is just a hype, their way of hyping to make everything seem so more important that when Rhonda and Stephanie are placed together at the top of this entire thing, that they look all that more important. Yeah, the logic really becomes here. You you've got to build other stars. If you're going to have Rousey for more than one match, you you have to build stars to put her in the ring. With. I, I I don't think it, they're not building other any other stars. They just want to run it out there so they can say women's evolution over and over and have them hot and have it have them not individually as stars, but as a group highlight it more so that when Ronda does come in. And, and her and Stephanie are sitting at the top of that. It makes their position look all that more important. You know, on the flip side, over on SmackDown, their women are still getting crapped on. It's still, let's throw everybody in the same story. With, they don't with have keep running. Right. There we go. That's why That's why I'm jumping to, to this conclusion. Yep. Yep. Yeah, But they do have a Charlotte Flair, and they just don't use her. So... Um, let, let, let's start with the first four inside of the women's elimination chamber. You have Mickey and Alexa and then absolution. Obviously we had the Mickey and Alexa promo that I referred to, uh, backstage with Mickey basically calling Alexa on her bullshit and Alexa being like, no, Mickey, it's not like that this time. I'm sorry. Do you buy it? I actually thought they did a good job with this. You know, from last week and then through their dot-com and social media, they really didn't play up so much of the past feud where, you know, Alexa was going out of her way to just break down Mickey at every opportunity that she could. She attacked her age. She attacked her looks, you know, attacked what she's done in the business. I mean, it was a very personal sort of feud between those two. And Alexa's excuse was basically <clears throat> it was strategy. I was trying to get in your head. Well, she, well, she, she kind of came out and said, you know, besides trying to get in your head, it was, it was more driven by jealousy. 
that she knew that, you know, Mickey still had all these great things that she could still go in the ring. She still looked amazing. You know, she, she went out and had a kid and is still able to accomplish this. And then everything that she'd done in the past, you know, Bliss was playing, you know, I was jealous of you. But, hey, this is perfect to her character. This is what she is. She is a conniving individual. She's going to do and say whatever she needs to get her way. And I loved, and I loved that Mickey called her out on it, but, but Mickey, being the veteran that she is, kind of realized, you know, maybe there is going to be some, some bit of a numbers game in this chamber and to build towards it. So, yeah, Alexa, right now, I'll play along. But just let you know, when I need to, I am prepared to strike against you because the thing that's most important to her is leaving the chamber with that championship. So we get Mickey and Alexa versus Absolution being DeVille and Rose. Does anybody even care that DeVille and Rose are in the chamber? It's like they're just filling bodies. That's pretty much what it feels like to me. This is another case where they really do not care about highlighting the individual stars here. You could still have an opportunity to build up DeVille and Rose by utilizing the star power and the strong points of Paige over there. You know, Paige has barely done anything. Now she just comes out with them. We don't get anything from her. Sure, she can. There's a great possibility now that she can. She'll never be able to go inside that ring again. But she could still add a great deal to any program she's involved in. You know, especially building up these two young stars that she's with. How long has it been since Paige got hurt? That was back in what December? I would say early January. Was it? Was it that late? Well, I mean, regardless, I mean, at this point, even the casual fans have to know there's something up, right? I mean, she hasn't been in the ring at all. She's not cutting any promos, but she's still on TV every week. And when she when they come out, it's Paige leading the way. Like, Paige is still the alpha of the group, but she's not doing anything. Like, even, even the casuals got to be on to this. You know, I would love at times, too, for I want to see some back backstage promos between them where, you know, Paige is putting over her young talents. Acknowledge the injury. Yeah. At least let her run her you know, mouth. Let her run her mouth about whatever, you know, and then say, you know what? She's right now is sidelined, but she's got so much knowledge and she is so important in this business that she's going to be able to hand this on to these two, two up and comers that, that she's taken under her wing. Or I'm not really a big fan of having people on commentary, but every now and then I think Paige is okay on there. I think she's all right when she talks normally. If she doesn't just drag everything out and sound like a snot-nosed little bitch. Um, I am not buying either DeVille or Rose at this point. Uh, ne- neither one of them are doing a whole lot for me. I feel like they have had the opportunity here to grab the brass ring and they're just two bodies that are kind of out there. Uh, this match was much more about Alexa and Mickey to me and... There was no story there. It was just a regular tag team match. Alexa had Mickey's back and they functioned together all right as a team. And even though they lost at the end of the match, Alexa's helping up her partner. Now do we buy Alexa and Mickey? No, I, I think that's and that still plays to Alexa's character. You know, she knows that there is, you know, that that Mickey just isn't totally buying it. So she's still got to keep her act going. And that's perfect for one of just any of those little snotty mean girl kind of personalities. I'm just worried, you know, that they had to rush this thing so, so quickly because, I mean, we've only got another week until the chamber here. we got one more raw and, and we're there. I feel so like they're going to have 
they're really going to have to if they really want to build some tension between these two, which I don't feel that they really they really want to. They're just trying to drum up a little interest in this match. Uh, but they're going to need some kind of major payoff this week for it. Yeah, I really feel like when it comes to the chamber, it's going to be Alexa pinning Mickey. And then just like, hey, I got gotcha. you. And that's going to be it. And there's not going to be any follow-up because Mickey's like woman number seven on the Raw roster now. Uh, let's talk about the other two. Uh, we've got Bailey versus Sasha Banks on this match. Jersey Mike's favorite match ever. A rematch from Brooklyn. Bailey and Sasha. Were we finally going to get Ratchet Sasha back? And they did absolutely nothing with it. And I'm not going to say they didn't really they, they did nothing with this match. There still is a possibility. And I'm a little higher on this program than than most of the naysayers. You know, I still when I when I look at Bailey, it almost just breaks my heart. You know what what they've done to her. What could just have been knowing the potential, and and I, I continually hope that maybe they'll get back on track and they'll give her an opportunity there. Uh, in any case, I don't think so much of Sasha, but she does need to be that bitch boss. That's the only uh, that's the only Sasha Banks character I'm interested in. I feel like half the problem with Bailey is Sasha's been doing her gimmick ever since she got to the main roster. Oh, I'm happy to be here. The problem is they have so many individuals that do Bailey's gimmick. Oh, this is my my childhood dream. I love being here. Yep. It, there, there's too many that So that, it means nothing when somebody who that's the gimmick when they come up to the main roster, it just means nothing because it's literally everybody's gimmick. And you know, this match itself you know, there was a, you know, a lot of people coming in that, that thought we were going to get some major payoff here. I, and I think this, I think a program between these two, yeah, I think it could be a great second or third story within this division that would keep people interested. And, and I guess with the way, I guess I'll talk first how I think it, how I think it should have went or how I thought it was going to go. And I would have loved to see, you know, something earlier in the show where these two, you know, they kind of shake hands and embrace, you know, this is going to be a great battle between us. We're going to go out there and do what we do best. We're best friends. May the better woman win, yada, yada, yada. And then they get out there and then we see something similar to Sheamus and Daniel Bryan from the WrestleMania where, you know, Bailey goes to acknowledge the crowd, giving her an, a you know, massive cheer. She's in her hometown. And Sasha just jumps the gun and just gives her a big old knee and gets the, the win within seconds. But no, instead, we have Sasha come out first, and she's trying to act like, you know, the boss bitch heel. And then when Bailey's music hits and Bailey's coming out and she's getting the roar from the crowd of the hometown fans, Sasha's standing in the ring trying like hell to not pop. I mean, it was, it was written all over her face. She's proud of her friend. Of course she is. She's happy for her. But it totally goes against the entire narrative that you're trying to establish here. Well, you know, Sasha's known for that. You know, she that's one of the like the major problems I have with her. And going back, I know everyone praises the Brooklyn match and all that. That entire match, as good as it may have been, completely everything went out the window for me when immediately after following the match, Sasha goes right into breaking her character and she's out hugging fans, you know, especially Bailey's super fan, because she was sitting there crying because she she was actually buying into Sasha's work during the match. You you got your matches confused. Or which one was that? That which was, one, uh, which that was takeover respect. That was the, uh, iron woman match that took place okay. inside full sale. But yeah, I get your point. I totally get your point here. Well, so, so what do you think going back with those guys it was thro- totally thrown out the window for me when this happened? Well, I, I, I feel like the thing that made Brooklyn so special though, was it was finally the culmination of Bailey's journey. I mean, you had had 
Becky beating Bailey down. You had Charlotte beating Bailey down. You had Sasha beating Bailey down and everybody telling Bailey, you're not good enough. You do not belong here. And Bailey finally persevered and overcame it like two years later. Like Bailey should just now be getting ready to win the women's title for the first time. But no, they stooged that off like two months into her main run. Just drop the ball, man. Just drop the ball. Totally missed the mark. And, and now, you know, now now it seems like a lot of people have soured on what we saw on Monday. In either case with that match, going back to what I was saying, with I would have done it short and sweet. I, I thought it went way too long. It was way too good of a for a Raw match right now where this story could go. I wouldn't have totally turned Sasha. I would have had Sasha just kind of play up like, hey, I'm, I'm just, just shows I'm willing to do whatever I need to do. And maybe you need to up your game too, Bailey. But, you know, I still love you, girl. But, you know, we're still there for each other. But I'm letting you know I'm elevating myself. You slow burn that that hard turn from her. But anyway, it, the match itself, I, like I said, I thought it went in entirely too long. It was probably too good for the spot it was in on Raw here. Yeah, it was too good of a match. And then it. Then with afterwards, when Nia did come in and attack them, it did seem like, wait a minute, this entire, you know, what was it? Maybe a 15-minute match, 12, 15-minute match. All to get Nia over. Was all to get Nia over. I I didn't really see it that way because I think you can still go forward with with Bailey and Sasha. You know, Sasha could be a little mad. You know, Bailey, you know, it seemed from, you know, blatant she tried to save Sasha. Yeah, I think I think that was the important part of that shot was that you really got Bailey throwing Sasha out of the way. But you know it. But if you got a bad attitude and you're just looking for a reason to be mad, Sasha could twist that into something against Bailey. You cheap shotted me. The only reason Nia got me was because you threw me down. Otherwise, I would I would have been ready for her. Well, and then I would have had them already. All through this week, we haven't seen anything from them. I would have had them all over the place. Both of them demanding Kurt Angle gives them an individual shot against Nia Jax. So that they want Nia this upcoming week, that adds some more heat between them because they both want that same goal again. But they both want it to beat Asuka. They want, both want to prove that. They want it to prove it against each other. Now they want to prove it against you know who's supposed to be the big monster division now, Nia. And then during the show, just to put some more heat on Nia to maybe build some more suspense about what's going to happen inside this chamber, I'd have Nia just completely demolish both of them backstage. Well, as you were saying, instead, they have Nia come out after they have a 15-minute match and then lay them both out. Uh, I thought Nia looked like hell on this show. I'm not sure what was going on with her hair and makeup on this show, but it did not look good. Not a good look for Nia. Um so we're building to Oscar versus Nia Jax here. And I don't think anybody is really giving Nia Jax much of a chance to win. Not giving Nia Jax nearly the chance that she should have to win. I've got a proposal here. All right. This is what I want to do. So we have Oscar and we have Nia. And they have one hell of a knockdown drag out 10 minute match. Right. And then Alexa Bliss comes walking out. And everybody's wondering what Alexa's doing there. And Alexa Bliss jumps in the ring and she punches Nia Jax in the mouth. And Nia Jax smiles and they both laugh because they just outsmarted Asuka. Asuka gets disqualified. Nia Jax is in the match. What do you think of that? They got they, they got one over them. I, I could see it working, man. And you talk about the heat you'd get for taking the cheap way out there. Oh, man. If you use a cheap-ass tactic like that to break Asuka's streak, no matter who does it, 
there's going to be colossal heat. And Alexa is the only person on that roster that can handle it. I think I think that'd be perfect. She needs actually something to re-energize that heel that heel heat that she kind of lost ever since going over to Total Divas. Yeah, this is you this know, people is your, see that this is your Goldberg Taser moment, you know? Yeah, people see that side of her over on Total Divas and, and they don't want to hate Alexa Bliss. They want to love that person that they see on the other program. And Asuka's still protected in the booking. And that's how you I, get I, I to Alexa, Naya, and Even sitting here, I, I don't know if I actually like like the idea because it kind of makes me mad, the cheap way out, but that would be the intent of it. Good. But let me I think that's quick. an idea. I, let yeah, me I think you're supposed to be pissed off. Let me ask you something real quick before we move on from this here. What's I got to notice about Naya, as you were saying, you know, a lot of people, no one really believes she has a chance now. But on the surface, it seems like they're doing everything they can to reestablish her as that monster. Yeah, but a month ago, she was taking Enzo chicken soup. I understand that. But even since then, she is, she's been going over enhancements. She's been squashing nobodies. And then even this past week, you know, she gives that promo. These two took Asuka to her limits, and I just took them out in seconds. Yeah, after a 15-minute match. Yeah, after 15 <laughs> minutes of just destroying each other. So I wonder if they're intentionally doing that or if they're just that stupid and think people are buying it. Yeah, I, this, this is a big show turn. You know, like literally a month ago, she was taking Enzo chicken soup. And now here we are a month later, and we're supposed to believe that Nia Jax is such a monster that she is going to be the first person to beat Asuka when we've seen Asuka beat her multiple times at this point. Well, and then come April, she'll be right back into some sort of uh, comedy bit. So bad. So bad. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Ronda Rousey as Kurt announced earlier in the show, Ronda Rousey is going to be signing her contract at the elimination chamber. Boy, if I ever heard of anything selling subs, it's gotta be Ronda Rousey showing up to sign a piece of paper. Woohoo! I am jacked. Well, it's not so much just that they're having the contract signing there. It's even the announcement, how they presented this thing. Kurt. Oh, uh, by the way, she's going to be there. Now on to what else I have to talk about. You know, it just, it was in a passing moment. Everything has been in a passing moment. Ever since the rumble, everything has been a passing moment. That is, that is my main problem with how they are handling this year. And, and, you know, it kind of, you know, last week you were talking about how this time of year, it doesn't feel like we're in nothing is special. We're not, it doesn't feel like we're on the road WrestleMania. You know, that was your big moment at the Rumble. That should be a focal point from that moment on. Now, I understand, you know, she has other commitments. She has other things going on that she can't physically be there. But where where are the vignettes? Where are these awesome over-the-top promo packages continuing week to week, continuously telling us how amazing this is? This is her crossing over. She wants... She's not just leaving behind the fighting world. She wants to elevate herself to become a true superstar. You could have shot like a 15-minute documentary documenting the journey of Ronda Rousey getting to the WWE and aired it in three-minute pieces over the course of five weeks, and it would have taken you straight to Elimination Chamber. How fucking hard is that? And instead of saying, hey, you don't even... You wouldn't even have to really shoot shoot it when you had her in Philadelphia. I mean, we got technology today. Me and you were an hour, were we, 10 hours away from one another? Yeah, and we cut the like show that. every week. Yep. Yeah, well, at least when, you know, the weather doesn't say fuck you, but yeah. Right. 
uh, you know, we've got we've got friend, Money MacGyver. He's on the other side of the world. If we talk to him weekly, that fucking guy. Uh, like they couldn't send even if they couldn't send their own production production team out with one of these one of their sideline reporters to do a little sit down with her. You mean she couldn't shoot a fucking video on her cell phone, selfie style, that we could have aired on Raw? I mean, it's not like we don't do that for everybody else on the roster. This is one of the problems. And now they're going to want, now they're just going to hope, oh, she's going to come out and sign this here at Elimination Chamber. I got a feeling this is this is where we're really going to see everything become about her and Stephanie. And then they'll start going forward. So I don't know, maybe they didn't really want to start overhyping uh Rousey until Stephanie was actually freed up to be there more often. I don't, I don't know what they're doing here, but man, this has been, it's been very disappointing to see them drop the ball with Rondo's involvement with the company. Uh, let, let, let's talk a couple of minutes here about Rousey's WrestleMania possibilities. Um, I, I have a theory here and I, I think this is going to backfire terribly if they do Rousey and Braun versus Hunter and Stephanie which is what we've been hearing rumored if Rock can't do it. Well, and now we now we've got Braun has kind of dropped down that list now, man. Well, I, I can tell you this, Rousey and Braun doesn't work. Because what happens when you do Rousey and Braun is Rousey and Braun are the baby faces, right? Rousey is the dominant female, Braun is the dominant male, and the two heels are Hunter and Stephanie. They're at the disadvantage here. That doesn't work whatsoever. I mean, you you have to have somebody partnered with Rousey that Hunter can get over on here. I mean, Braun should just kill Hunter at this point. Rousey should kill Stephanie. This match does not work whatsoever for me. Maybe that's why it's being thrown out. We already talked about the Kurt Angle theory. Well, we talked about Kurt not working. We've... we've Anyone that's listened to us for the last month knows that we actually believe the only way this thing actually does get over is if The Rock is involved. Anything else is just a, a huge drop-off and becomes a disappointment. I think but the now, only other option is Batista. I, I, I think you could pull it off with Batista. I do like your suggestion to get Batista involved here if they could bring him back in. But now the name that we are seeing surface that is, that's a huge possibility if they can't get Rock to come in here is Shane McMahon. See, and what is the fucking logic here? I mean, are, are we supposed to believe that Shane McMahon can go one-on-one with Triple H? I mean, because I don't believe that. I honestly believe that they will come to blows and somebody is going to get very, very seriously injured. I don't trust those two guys in the ring together. They fucking hate each other. I don't think that's a very smart possibility. And then again, you're left with Rousey and Stephanie. That does not work. I don't see the huge selling point there for it, actually. I, and I know how they can link it together. You know, Shane could step in and try to make a play to get to get Ronda over on on SmackDown Live. And there's a number of ways you could make it work. At this point, and I think you would tend to agree, we're okay with not ever seeing Shane McMahon inside a WWE ring again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially as a wrestler. And, all, and, and more so than this actual match taking place, what turns me off the most is now instead of dealing with this for three hours of weekly programming, we have the McMahon family drama stretching five hours. 
of programming. So I, then I got to thinking, right, because everybody keeps telling me that we have to do this mixed tag match. Why do we have to do this mixed tag match? Because we have to protect Rousey. Well, from what? What are we protecting her from? Oh, well, you know, she might not be ready. Then she doesn't deserve a fucking main event spot at WrestleMania if she's not ready. I mean, I was looking back at Rousey's previous fights. You know, most of her fights went under a minute. Under a minute. So you mean to tell me that she can't tap out Stephanie McMahon in like four seconds? You could put her in there with anybody. You could put her in there with Nikki Bella. You could put her in there with Nia Jax. You could put her in there with Sasha Banks. Just have her go out there and make them tap in 45 seconds. That's believable. It's Ronda fucking Rousey. What what, what do we got to protect her from? I would just have her go out there and squash somebody. Ken Shamrock's first match was a squash match. Why the hell not? He did all right for himself. That's why I, I still am not giving up on maybe the idea that, you know, when we first saw Shamrock make his debut, when he was making that transition, he was in the position as a referee. Yep. If she's not ready to go out there and compete in a, in a legit marquee match, then yes, I don't think there is anything wrong with her going out there. And that's the reason that a couple of weeks ago that you threw out the idea that maybe Sasha Banks might be the best first opponent. Yeah, because you because go out going there. To go, you have a two-minute match. Blockbuster. Yeah. The, and the hype, the hype around it is you don't need to have like sell her as like the selling point of the event. You could have her down the card and just having her wrestling debut, her WWE debut, is gonna be enough of a draw. You got the you got the big hype with all the, the promo going up to it, you got the big entrance. And then she does what she does and she demolishes somebody. And I don't I think was, I don't think you want to throw her in a gimmick match. Because if you're trying to pull this UFC audience, right, and you get, let's say you get 500,000 UFC fans who don't normally watch WWE to tune into WrestleMania to see Ronda Rousey's first fight, and it is in a gimmick mix tag match, you know what they're going to say? This is why I don't watch fucking pro wrestling. And they're never going to watch it again. You have to put her in there in a legit match, have her go out there and squash somebody and have them get excited and be like, that's fucking Ronda Rousey. That's the Ronda I remember. That's the I, Ronda I, I supported. I still think at this point, the, what, the best way, and you keep hearing protect her, protect her. If you really want to protect her, then it's either squash or keep her out of a damn match. I still think the best option is to go more of like that Ken Shamrock when he made the transition over or go for the impact as when Mike Tyson came in yeah. and you put her as if An she can, enforcer, handle, if she can handle, if she can handle calling officiating the match. Great. If she cannot, then you put her as an enforcer, but you put her, then you have that match actually include Oscar and Charlotte. Yep. I'm down with that. I'm down with that. Uh, the only other thing to talk about uh, off of raw was ivory going into the hall of fame. Do you have any thoughts on ivory going into the hall of fame? I think it's great. Always uh, enjoyed her work from, from glow to, to WWE now to the hall of fame. Yeah. Good for her. Um, I, I think there's some other names I would have thrown in there ahead of ivory. Like, you know, the big bad opponent that they were putting over in the video package. Who's not in the hall of fame, AKA China. 
But, you know, that's a soapbox for another time. We're trying to keep this show short. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about off of Raw? I mean, we had Wyatt and Hardy. We had Roman and Sheamus. We had the club versus the revival. All seems like minor filler in the grand scheme of the bigger stories being told on this episode. You know, just going back real quick, uh, I'm still still nothing nothing there interests me between Wyatt and Hardy. Uh, as I said earlier, I thought it was very odd that, you know, they kind of pulled Roman away from everything going in the chamber as they're, you know, they're trying to take the focus off him so that people aren't constantly reminded that it's still about the Roman agenda. And then anything, you know, the bar, club, revival, it was just a, a great reminder to me how much of a disaster this tag division is and, and how much it's bottomed out right now. All right, we're going to throw it over to a break. I'm going to have a cigarette. We're going to play a song. We're going to come back. We're going to hammer out SmackDown, talk a little bit of 205. Um, if you've watched NXT this week, have you watched NXT this week, Rick? I have. All right, we may, we may talk just a little bit of NXT because really there was only one match worth talking about on there, and it was Baszler and Moon. So we'll be right back. Don't nobody want it, we hella hot at the moment We're coming for all opponents and feel incredible, don't it? It really ain't a thing, who get them crazy going orangutan? Look at them copping me, trying to get top of the boss With a lot of mediocrity, stalking the properties Want to get off of my monopoly, tell me who is the one they call Socrates? It's been a wreck, been a death When the head-on collision was in effect from a tech The other side is a curse, they have a lot of regrets My creation is shaking the planet Earth Everybody better Any opposition So don't you make a mistake with the Yates Get some plan of escape, you better work The beat I broke, never needed my chin hair to beat thy goat With the mic on my fight, folks, to peep my quotes And try to say the wiggity nice joke The big man that lift hands and get fans to pushing the poetry big as it can Way up on the pedestal, losing your lesson is let it go Killing so many, I might be federal Paulina, think you dirty with your style, my style clean. Women all of me screaming just like I'm Alcina. Wanna go with the Scorpio, baby, I'll sting ya. Who you, screw you too, who you through? This how we do in the zoo, miss. Zoo, 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 Anybody faking and laying down to sleep Found a beast to give the people a sound to peace How elite, taking Nina without the feast Yeah, another sucker lost, trying to uppercut a boss Wanna break out on me, I'ma break a motherfucker off Thinking that you could handle to gamble We lit as a candle, damn your clan, no nothing but scandal And taking the L, you're facing the veil Shaking the whale, and you a snail, awaking the hell Baking your tail with the heat, the agony of defeat Depravity and tragedy, it had to be of a chief See my technique and they come try to But they cannot duplicate how I Fakers will never compare to the Shakers a murderer, giving it up till they Zoo, 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 zoo
So let's jump over to SmackDown Live, coming to us from Bakersfield, California, even though they never said that on this show because, you know, Bakersfield is a small town and they only advertise when they're in the big venues. Uh, the, the SmackDown, Raw, I thought was pretty good, but SmackDown was uh, kind of a swing and a miss for me. At least they went down swinging this time, though. They didn't just go up there and leave the bat on their shoulder. How did you feel? Yeah, a little bit of confusion here. You know, once again, it, it I didn't have so much of that black hole feeling. Uh, but it seems like they they were maybe they're this was just a setup show to to suck more people into it. Yeah, it's definitely the black hole that is SmackDown Live. Uh, on this show, they ended up going with uh, heel versus heel times two, and uh, we, we we really accomplished a whole lot of nothing here except now we have our babyface champion AJ Styles in a match versus four heels. No AJ or Shinsuke on this show. I, I did find out that they were in the dark match after SmackDown. Why in the hell there wasn't at least a promo? Show them backstage or something. Well, you know, this this goes back to that feeling of why should we really invest this time of year? Because everything that they they I, I pitched to us, this is the road to WrestleMania. This is where it kicks off at the Rumble. It goes into stall mode. And we're getting yeah. that right now with AJ and Nakamura. It's like, okay, yeah, we're, we're waiting for that. Remember that happened a month ago? Now we're going to wait for that for a while. So we need you to turn your attention over here and care about this. And we'll get back to our regularly scheduled program here in a moment. I mean, where, why can't we have a continuing build here? Why can't the focus be on these two great competitors, You know, the best in the world, AJ Styles and Nakamura, who is regarded as one of the greatest talents in the world, who's fallen off the radar a little bit, but is trying to reclaim that spot through his victory at the Royal Rumble. I mean, where is that storyline? I was talking to Jersey Mike last night, and I made the comment that I think it's cute how you Americans think that Shinsuke Nakamura is a good guy. Think it's time to turn Shinsuke heel. Think it's time to turn Shinsuke heel. Give me a, a heel Shinsuke going in to WrestleMania versus babyface AJ. That's kind of what I want to see. Uh, so on this show, we have Cammy making a statement. They uh, they take out Baron Corbin and Dolph Ziggler. They were going to uh, compete to get thrown into the uh, fatal four-way at Fastlane. But now we're going to have a fatal five-way. Or no, it was a triple threat. Now it's going to five. That's what it is. Correct. This 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 whole show is so goddamn it, it, confusing it, to me. Well, what, what we had there, we had... We, we had what was originally going to be a one-on-one, a -on -one, which was then made into a triple threat, which then had the option to become a fatal four-way with this, with this second qualifying match. And now, because of Cammy's actions, now we have a five-way. You know, maybe after John Cena loses the Elimination Chamber, we can throw him in there and just make it a six-pack challenge. You know, I was going to say, do not hold your breath because, yes, I mean, this show is coming to you from Columbus, Ohio, and they have leaked out some of the advertisements for the show that the arena has. We knew a couple months ago that they were planning a five-way, uh, but in the promos that were released, it included Nakamura and Randy Orton. Right. Uh, now, now we're learning that has been, that has been swapped out that now we will have uh, obviously Baron Corbin and Dolph Ziggler in their spots. Also, John Cena is advertised to make a special appearance at that show. I would say, hey, he's got to find it. his road to WrestleMania. Do, he do might not, not have a match. 
Do not hold your breath if he is added to this match. Or I think, you know, looking at it here, probably what you, what you have pitched in the past, which is much more likely, you know, they've done we're, – we're seeing nothing here from Nakamura. He needs something to do at, at Fastlane. No, so I would say match. I would say it's pretty it's pretty likely that we see Cena and Nakamura for a number one contenders match. Yep, that's absolutely what I expect. So we have Corbin versus Owens on this show. Um, well, it was a fine match. Um, the only thing that's really entertaining about Baron Corbin for me at this point is his hairline receding on a week to week basis. Uh, but it, it was a fine match, but it's it's two heels fighting each other. And I didn't want Baron Corbin to win because that makes the odds worse for AJ Styles. So inevitably, I find myself pulling for Kevin Owens, but then I feel dirty about pulling for Kevin Owens because Kevin Owens is the heel. So it, it's just this weird, you don't know how you're supposed to feel as you're watching this show or coming out of this show. And that was the problem with this show. What did you think of the match? Well, I thought, you know, fine match. Uh, you know, I haven't really been hot on Corbin. Uh, I'm going to say since SummerSlam, right? I've been, I've been kind of beating yeah. down. Yeah, you've been, you've been trending down on Corbin for a while now. Well, he just hasn't done anything that wows me. And I don't really even know. I actually think him being included here in this match, what maybe little interest I actually had into it, had in it, and believe me, it was very, very little, is probably lessened now. The one that I do have much more interest in at this point is Dolph Ziggler. Uh, Ziggler, uh, did you catch when, when Sammy comes out around the crowd and Ziggler goes running after him? Some little girl stepped in front of Dolph and he like stopped cold and moved her and then went after Sami Zayn. thought that I was great. I, I didn't pick up on that one. I assume that that was the Dolph Ziggler babyface turn because he could have just plowed over that little girl. Well, come on. They all do that. You know, you see Hunter break character right in the middle because a kid start crying because he's healing it up. I understand I say, that, but then we get the backstage promo and it very much felt like a babyface Dolph well, Ziggler I was, promo. I was, going, I was going to say there was... There was much more besides him not just uh, plowing over a child. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. I think that was the beginning. That was when he realized, I do have a moral compass. I do care about these people. I need to protect these fans. He cuts his promo, and then he worked, you know, in working that match, it was much more. Well, uh, and, it, and it style. wasn't just the promo. Like he has his hair down in the promo when he came out for the match instead of. And I did notice at the beginning of the show, too, the record scratched. Ziggler came out and then his music hit. It's like, I'm not, I'm not exactly out of it, but it's, but it's like, I don't exactly understand why a record would scratch to silence. And then the song would start playing. I think, well, I think we've got this right. a little backwards. It's more towards the baby. You know, you, you get the record, you get the music, the record, the record scratch. And that's supposed to be, Oh, it's Dolph back doing the same thing. And then the music comes back like, yeah, I'm back to have fun now, guys. Right. So I feel like it's this progression. We're getting back to babyface Dolph Ziggler. And I mean, we were talking about Big Show in segment one. If anybody has been turned as many times as the Big Show at this point, it's probably Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, I guess the most disappointing thing about this show with, with Dolph Ziggler, you know, you and I, we, you spoke, we spoke about it here in the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. We spoke about it over with the Hacker Hameen Media Group in the locker room. You know, we came up with this great idea of how to re-elevate Ziggler to make him seem important, especially coming out of the news of this, this great new deal he's got where 
you know, he's got control. He's making some fat cash over the next couple of years to put some importance back on him. And we turn and it baby just, face instead. Well, and now it just seems like they didn't know what to do because of the contract. They didn't know where they were going forward with him. And now they're just going to keep him under, under the contract to use him as an enhancement when they really could have something special by, cre- by taking show off Dolph Ziggler and creating superstar Dolph Ziggler who kind of goes where he wants, does what he wants, and plays up to those aspects of his contract and just really cranks his own personality up to, up to 12. It looks like they're going a completely opposite direction. They're just going to go, they're going to do the same old, same old run of the mill with him. Keep the course. Yep. Let's just, uh, let's just turn him. Let's just turn him. But like you were saying, then we have Ziggler versus Zane, uh, which I thought was a pretty good match. It's the first time I remember seeing these two in the ring and it was as good as I thought that it would be on paper. Uh, but like you said, Ziggler absolutely worked this match as the baby face. All the sympathy was put on Ziggler. He's selling his goddamn ass off because that's one thing Ziggler actually does well. I I can't complain about the match. I'm just, again, Ziggler winning hurts AJ's chances. So I'm pulling for Sami Zayn, and Sami Zayn is the most annoying fucking person on the face of the goddamn planet. I don't want to pull for him to win anything. Even like ugliest ginger contest, I don't want to see him win that. So I guess let's talk about the U.S. title picture. We have a little bit different dichotomy this time. We have babyface versus babyface as we get Randy Orton versus Bobby Roode, or at least that's the impression that we get until Jinder Mahal, I can't believe I'm going to say this, Jinder Mahal comes out and saves the segment by healing on both of these guys. So what are we assuming here? Triple threat at Fastlane? Uh, that's what that's what I'm kind of guess they're they're going for here. We're going to have a, a five wave for our for our WWE championship. We're gonna have a, a triple threat going on here. I don't know what where else we're gonna have to fill out this card, but you know, but you kind of just getting back real quick to how do you you start off here with the face versus face dynamic, and then or, you know then with the other with the WWE championship program at you know heel versus heel all down to this show. I always wonder if they're intentionally trying to blur these lines all over this show, all feeding into their main storyline of Brian versus Shane and their little tit tat, because it's been quite obvious that they don't want us to know what direction that's going in and who you should invest in or who you should be feeling what towards in that, in that program. Which is why the SmackDown numbers stay incredibly stagnant. And we're basically sitting at the bottom floor here. And I get maybe their, you know, their logic of let's try to keep people on their toes. But guess what? When you get away from your very basic principles of storytelling, you start to confuse and lose the viewers. You know, they almost had me. They almost had me buying into this shades of gray. And, you know, we're skewing the moral compass and nobody's any better than anybody else. And everybody's a little bit face and everybody's a little bit heel. They almost had me buying into it. And then I saw NXT takeover and I heard that crowd respond to Johnny Gargano. And I heard that crowd shit on Andrade Cien Almas because they wanted Johnny Gargano to win and they wanted Andrade Cien Almas to lose. Pro wrestling is best done when there's a antagonist and there's a protagonist and you want one guy to win and you want one guy to lose. 
Quit trying to complicate things. Quit trying to make it sports entertainment. Just do pro fucking wrestling. It's not that hard. It's really not that hard. So I guess the only other thing really to talk about on SmackDown is the women's title picture. Uh, As I anticipated, this week we get Sarah Logan versus Charlotte. Except this time, Charlotte brings her friends, which obviously means... Charlotte's going over, and we're getting a six-woman tag next week. I didn't even have to watch the match, and I knew that's what's going to be the result. That's two. Rick, what did you think? Again, you know, comparing this to the Raw women's division, we see the importance they're trying to put over on the red brand, and it's all because they think they have something important coming up. They think they have something that's going to really stand out and elevate that Stephanie McMahon brand where maybe they can treat it more than just the novelty act that it is. But uh, but since they don't have anything anything like that over here on SmackDown, it is just the run of the mill. This is a, a facade, this women's evolution. They do not care about it. Like, you know, you actually had a story going here where the champ, she's she's a proud champion. She's out to take on all competitors. And she brings backup? Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, that was your, the story all the way up to this week has been, you guys want to come at me three on one? Okay. I'm the alpha around here. I'm going to systematically take you out. I'm going to eliminate you one by one until you are gone or you mean so little that no one cares about you when it comes to SmackDown Live. Now, where were, where were her friends these previous, these previous weeks when right. she was getting beat down? No, this is just a case of, Oh man, we've got these we got these ladies sitting around. We got six women in the back, and we got to get them all on this show. But we're only doing a one on one match. What do we do? Oh, we'll just put the other four around the fucking ring. But we'll give them all, you know, their individual entrances. So yeah, you get to the point here with the match itself. Oh, wait, we didn't miss anything there because uh, it was all about entrances and the commercials. Yeah, once again, you know, they give you like a 10-minute match and you get like a four-minute segment and then you get a four-minute commercial break and then you come back and get the last two minutes of the match. I, I, I don't understand the logic here. Charlotte should be the biggest female star in the company. She should be the second biggest star on the whole freaking show. Uh, and another item, you know, going on here that kind of bugs me it is still out there that us, you know, if you have Charlotte now, they are selling her as this defending champion, you know, that she wants to take on the challenge. She wants to elevate that championship and show that she is truly the greatest of all time. Why isn't she making any mention of, you know, Oscar, I'm the one you should choose. I already beat Bliss. She should be calling out Oscar every week until Oscar finally shows up. Every week. Just. I want to go eye to eye with Oscar. It is a serious afterthought that this is an option here because because everything goes into stall mode until after these two stopgap pay per views where we should have continuity going through these months. These should be used as more of a hype show for WrestleMania, yeah. not a side story. That is that it makes me want to pull my freaking hair out this time of year. It's hard to get excited for anything they've got going on and. Right now with this women's division, we're back to the same old. We don't we can't come up with multiple storylines. We can't really stay 
true to the one good one we've got going on. Let's just throw everyone at it and see what happens. Well, and I feel like one of the biggest problems here is Charlotte, the babyface champion. She's bigger than all the women. She's more athletic than all the women. She's got the pedigree that none of the other women have. She has all these advantages, and yet she's the babyface. So the only way that you can get to her is through strength and numbers. You got to have three people in order to take out Charlotte. It just does not work. If Charlotte was the dominant alpha female champion that was a heel and all the baby faces were coming after her, trying to beat her to steal the title back away from her, like, I don't know, Becky Lynch or Naomi, somebody who can actually go with Charlotte, maybe we would have a different result when we look at the numbers right now. Well, you know, there, there is so much in a visual. And you and I had some great debates about this, you know, going back to Survivor Series where you were in Bliss's corner. Obviously, I'm in Char Char. Oh, corner. you got to go and bring up that bullshit again. Here no, we hey, go. Hey, I'm going to sign. I'm going to bury the hatchet here because I'm going to agree with you a little bit. Oh, okay. you know, going into that match, you've got Charlotte as the baby and Bliss as the heel. But when you get that visual in the ring. Yeah. All the sympathy no, goes on Alexa because right. Charlotte is so much more dominant than her. That's why I said if you ever wanted to make money with those two going forward, you had to have Alexa outsmart Charlotte and steal one. But now, you know, Charlotte beat you know, her plane. There's nothing going forward there. There's no need to see that match again. There's no money to be made there because you already did it. And you did it for nothing on a card I, I, that didn't I still need think, it. I still think there's money for that match there, but I just want to use it as the visual. Charlotte needs to be in that other in the reverse role that she's in now. You know, it's great, you know, that you can use some marketing stuff with her tie to her dad and all that. But guess what? There's even more to be made with her being your top heel. I mean, she is the alpha in, in a world uh, like uh, any any sports. You chase the alphas. You know, when ESPN tries to run sympathy stories about feel good stories for Tom Brady and all that, it's it essentially backfires because it's just built in. People want to hate the Patriots because they are the alphas. Yep. Falls on deaf ears. Completely falls on deaf ears. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about from SmackDown this week? Because I got nothing. I, I was going to say, I think that that's it, isn't it? <laughs> what the show was. Yeah, that I mean, that's show. that's pretty much the whole two-hour show right there. Uh, I wanted to touch on 205 Live uh, because there were some really good matches. For those of you who are not yet tuning in to 205 Live, and I was very interested in this specific show because... It was all the old cast from 205 Live that's being carried over. So we had Akira Tozawa versus Mark Andrews on this show. Um, I don't think Andrews has actually been on 205 Live, but he was in the Cruiserweight Classic. So I just associate him with that Cruiserweight style. Fantastic, high-flying match. It was awesome. Then we get a uh, Murphy vignette. Evidently, uh, Murphy is coming to 205 Live. So yet again, we'll have yet another couple split up on the road as Alexa is on Raw and Murphy will be traveling with SmackDown, I assume. Um, 
Then we have an interesting exchange between Spudrick and Gentleman Jack Gallagher. Gentleman Jack is standing there, you know, in his full-on three-piece suit, and Spudrick walks in, and he calls out the brand and the make and everything else of the suit, and he says, yeah, got two of those at home. That is not appropriate wrestling attire. You have a match on 205 Live next week, and I expect you to be in appropriate wrestling attire. Can't wait to see where this thing goes. And then we had Drew Gulak versus Tony Nese. You know, two of the original 205 Live guys who have gotten pretty much a shit shake when it really comes down to carrying this show. They're always the guinea, never the pig. They gave these guys like 20 minutes and just let them beat the shit out of each other. It was the best match I've ever seen Tony Nese in. Drew Gulak, I actually remembered that Drew Gulak can wrestle other than doing just stupid nerdy character work this is absolutely a show to go watch now all it took was hunter taking over the book go figure you know i think it's it's really is it's them getting back to basics a real simple format for your show give a couple good rest you know a couple good rest professional wrestling matches and 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 just kind of sprinkle in a little bit of that entertainment you know we had a, a nice little vignette there to introduce murphy real quick on that i i still think i don't know how much touring these guys are actually doing with the red and the blue, but when they do, I think it is mainly for the live events with with Raw. Well, yeah, but I mean, I mean, with SmackDown, with two hundred five live being after SmackDown, I, d- I don't think that we're going to be seeing Murphy on Raw. So I assume that he'll just travel with the SmackDown crew. Well, well, unless he's used for a live event with the Raw brand. Oh yeah, there is. So that. then he would be out under a so it's up in here. But I don't, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what the two hundred five live. Uh, live event or their involvement with those live events, what that really is there. Uh, so we have, well, we have to see, I don't think that's all important, but Hey, it's nice to see that they actually found something for him to do. They're going to introduce him there. And I think he's been kind of stagnant, just really not even seen really for quite some time. Yeah, Really? Since Blake and Murphy broke up, both of those guys just kind of disappeared. Kind of fell off. Uh, then you, like you said, man, you had a, a pretty entertaining little backstage segment there between gentleman Jack and, and Spudrick. So that gives you a little bit of that, uh, I don't know, that humor flavor. Uh, and then a, 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 a very solid closing match. Well, yeah, and I think the reason that both of these matches worked is it was the two best aspects of cruiserweight wrestling. You had Tazawa versus Andrews, which is your high-flying, high-impact style of cruiserweight wrestling. And then you had Gulak versus Nice, which is basically just a technical wrestling clinic. Well, your basic structure of this show, you come out with that high flying, then you have a more you know serious introduction vignette, and then you have maybe a little uh, entertainment spot, and then you get down to some traditional style technical wrestling. Yep. It wasn't a, why should I care about this segment when I've already seen it three times in the show? Yep. And it's everything that NXT does well. I, NXT has this advantage too. They have that one hour format and that one hour just flies by and it seems like they do more in one hour of NXT than they do in three hours of raw. And I think part of it is when, like when you're a musician, I I ran into this at a band I was in called pneumatic, right? And we had our own studio that was set up in our guitar player's house. So we recorded the album there. We practiced the material there. We literally never got out of the studio. And when the album came out, it sounds overproduced as shit. Because we were in the studio and we fucked with it too much. When you're paying for studio time and you only got an hour, you go in there, you'd lay down them fucking tracks and you get the hell out of Dodge. 
you don't sit there and fuck with it for six goddamn months. Alex, I love you, but that record sounds terrible. Rick, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? Oh, Ember Moon and Shayna Baszler. What did you think of that match? A uh, fine match. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I thought, thought it was a cool follow-up. I, th- I thought it was a cool follow-up. I thought maybe it was a little too soon. I, I, I liked that as soon as the bell rang, it was Ember Moon jumping all over Baszler, kind of trying to take her off guard and, and carry out a little bit of aggression. And then Baszler slowed it down and basically just, beat the ever-loving shit out of Ember Moon and was working on that shoulder. I thought it was a good story they told. I, I, I thought it was a good continuation of the story there. I would have liked to maybe see, instead of just an, like a traditional setup match between these two, build some more heat before we got back to that. But since they did go in this direction, I thought it was a smart move to have Ember come out and say, you know, in her mind, she just barely got one by her last time. So she's looking for that element of surprise. Yep, had something to prove. Something to prove. Uh, the only thing that I wasn't entirely sold on is at the end of the match, Kyrie Sane comes out and attacks Shayna Baszler and takes out Shayna Baszler to save Ember Moon, causing the disqualification. So I logically, you would assume we're either going to get Sane versus Baszler for a number one contender spot, or this is going to end up being a triple threat. Um, my issue was... Kyrie Sane taking out Shayna Baszler like she was nothing. I mean, Kyrie Sane weighs like maybe all of 105 pounds soaking wet, and she is just going to town on Shayna Baszler. I can't believe that a spear from Kyrie Sane is going to knock out Shayna Baszler. I believe that a spear from Kyrie Sane, she would bounce off of Shayna Baszler and hit her head on the turnbuckle. Well, I would say, if anything, it would, it would knock out Sane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and even the final match at the May Young Classic, that was kind of, you know, Baszler got cocky and Sane caught her. So the right person ended up going over. But I'm not sure that I, I really like Kyrie Sane just going to town, beating the shit out of Shayna Baszler. That was a little bit weird and off-putting. And I'm not even normally one of those people that's big on size, but I mean, look at those two girls compared to each other. And it's just like, uh, yeah, no, a spear takes you out. You're selling hurt ribs from a spear. Like it better be a torpedo taking out Shayna Baszler. Come on, man. Can't buy that. Uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about on this episode, Rick? I think we've covered all the bases, you know, we're trying, like you said, you know, earlier in the show, we're trying something new here, not. Maybe not by design, but hey, we'll see how this works down here. Trying to get everything into one quick wrap-up for the week. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good about it, man. Uh, I know you've got a lot to take care of this weekend, so I want to just say uh, my condolences, and I will be thinking uh, of you and your friends and and family throughout the weekend. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, Rick and I will be back on Monday. Uh, As Rick was saying, unfortunately, I have some personal issues to tend to over the weekend. Uh, Rick's going to be traveling for the weekend, so there will not, I repeat, there will not be a point five this uh, Saturday. Uh, Everything like the Ring of Honor stuff, the Being the Elite stuff, that's all getting shipped over to Monday in the locker room over at hackerhameen.podbean.com. Uh, you can catch the show there. It should be out probably about five 30 in the morning, central time, six 30 East coast, just in time for your morning commute. Um, be sure to check out our friends, Michael and Ryan over at the for your daily pro wrestling needs. As they tell the stories of professional wrestling storytellers, you can find the show here on Twitter at HTMPW pod on Facebook at hitting the marks, shoot us an email at hitting the marks.com. 
at gmail.com. As always, you can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. This sentence would have made a lot more sense had we actually done the Ring of Honor segment. So those of you who watch Ring of Honor, you will get this reference after you see that episode. Rick, how does Bully Ray find you? Uh, Mr. Bully and all of our other great listeners out there, they can find me across all social media at The Real RBV. And as always, I would like to invite everyone to join me in, in so many other tremendous, great wrestling minds over on Facebook in the Hameen Media Discussion Group. In addition to the Hameen Media Discussion Group, where we've got a lot of you know, different interactive threads to kind of play off our good friends over at thegrillaposition.com, they have their own discussion group where you can pick up all of their great stories and kind of share your comments and discuss things with Michael and Ryan there. And that is simply over at thegrillaposition.com discussion group on Facebook. Before we go, I want to throw it over to our new historical reporter, Paul Arazola, with your Week in Wrestling. What is up, everybody? This is Paul Arzola, and I'm here with the Week in Professional Wrestling History. So come on, and let's take a journey back in time. We are going to cover this week as a whole, from February 11th to the 17th. And I will give my thoughts on some things, maybe not everything, but, you know, it just depends. Now, I will start with February 11th, 1969. And this was in Tampa, Florida. Dory Funk Jr. defeated Gene Kaninsky to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Dory would go on to hold the NWA Championship for four years before being defeated by Harley Race in 1973. And we will jump ahead to 1983 to St. Louis, Missouri. Giant Baba defeated Harley Race for the Pacific Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship. All right, February 12th, 1985. Jimmy Hart would debut for the WWF at a taping in Poughkeepsie, New York. He was managing Jim Neanville Nighthart and Greg Valentine. Hart would become one of the most successful managers in WWE history. He was only there for eight years, so that's technically not bad. But... He managed the likes of Greg the Hammer Valentine, The Heart Foundation, Honky Tonk Men, Money Inc., The Glamour Girls, The Mountie, and Hulk Hogan. So that's a very impressive list of superstars to manage throughout an eight-year career just in the WWF alone. Now, he would go on to WCW later on, and manage a plethora of superstars. And I'm so happy that, you know, this man is in the Hall of Fame. He deserves it. You know, the mouth of the South. Come on. Who could argue? He is right up there with, in my opinion, Bobby the Brain Heenan as one of the greatest managers in wrestling history. Alright, let's go to 1987 to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Ivan Koloff and the Powers of Pain defeated Paul Ellering, who was substituting for Road Warrior Animal because of an injury. Road Warrior Hawk and Dusty Rhodes to win the NWA World Six-Man Tag Team Championship. February 13th, 1997. Now, Raw was preempted on Mondays, 
usually because of the Westminster Dog Show, which I thought was total bullshit. But they went ahead and did a Thursday Night Raw from the Memorial Auditorium in Lowell, Massachusetts. Now, this Raw was the second Raw that went two hours, that started the two hours. And this Raw was also the one where Shawn Michaels cuts his infamous I Lost My Smile promo. And he would have to give up the WWF Championship because of a knee injury. Some say he f was feigning the injury. Some say he wasn't. Who knows? But with the WWF title vacant, this set up a match for In Your House, the Final Four pay-per-view. And it was Bret Hart, Vader, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Undertaker. And it was, I believe, announced that Psycho Sid would face the winner of the title match on the following night on Raw. We're going to jump ahead to 2006, February 13th. WWE announces Bret the Hitman Hart, a man who had had a very public falling out with the WWF, would be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Honestly, it was time, you know, the Montreal Screwjob, you know, it just, it was time. And I rank Bret Hart up there with, he's in my top maybe three all-time greats. Now we go to February 14th, 1999. The WWF presented In Your House St. Valentine's Day Massacre. The main event was Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon in a steel cage match. And this was the pay-per-view debut of Paul White, who fans knew from WCW as the Giant and who would go on to be called The Big Show. This match, I believe, barely lasted eight minutes inside the cage, but it it went on a lot longer. There was even a spot where Vince and Austin were on the side of the cage where the announce table was. Austin was literally beating the holy hell out of Vince's head, and Vince fell, hit the announce table, and I believe he was unconscious for quite a quite a little bit, not maybe you know, twenty thirty seconds, but I believe it was also revealed that he had broken his tailbone. I believe that was in the WWE documentary uh, of of Vince. So, but yeah, Paul White came out from underneath the ring and. Uh, Pretty much uh, threw Austin through one of the panels, and Austin won. And he would go on to WrestleMania 15 for his, a shot at the WWE title. All right, 
we will go to 1997, the In Your House Final Four from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And the main event was Stone Cold Steve Austin, Bret Hart, Vader, and The Undertaker for the vacated WWF title. As I mentioned earlier, Shawn Michaels had vacated the championship on that Thursday Night Raw. And the stipulations to this match was you could either win by pinfall, submission, or being thrown over the top rope and both feet touching the floor. And it was crazy because all three eliminations were via over the top rope. Bret Hart ended up being your winner and the new WWF champion. On February 17th, we'll do the night after Raw from Nashville, Tennessee. Psycho Sid defeated Bret Hart to win the WWF Championship. The win would just come 24 hours after Bret won at the In Your House pay-per-view. And just moments after Sid won the WWF title, it was announced that The Undertaker would challenge Sid for the championship at WrestleMania 13. So with this, I want to say thank you, and I will see you next time. So that's it for this week, guys. Rick and I will be back, hackerhameen.podbean.com, this Monday in the locker room. We're going to be talking about some Brandy Rhodes. We're going to be talking about Jay Lethal and Dalton Castle going down March 9th in Las Vegas at the 16th anniversary. We're going to be talking about SoCal Uncensored versus the Hung Bucks. And of course, we're going to be talking about Bully Ray. That's it for this episode. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Enable me.
Violet! 